What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Today, we are talking about drinking. Well, actually, not drinking. How cutting back from alcohol or stopping can actually be the best thing you can do for your life, your liver, and your bank account. For those of that have been hardcore self-developed life podcast followers since day one, thank you. And you may have listened to episode five. Episode five was called How and Why I Stopped Drinking. And in that episode, I talked about exactly that, how and why I stopped drinking. Basically, January 1st, 2017, I said, I'm going to do a 30-day no-alcohol challenge, the same one that is actually a sponsor to this podcast by James Swanwick. Check the show notes, click the link, or go to uh, 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com forward slash Quinton, or just click the link below in the show notes. That is what started me on my transition to becoming sober. I'm not saying that I haven't had a drink in the last two and a half years, but when I do go out, I limit it to about that, only one drink, rarely. Usually I just go out and I drink a bottle of water or a ginger beer or um, some other kind of delicious beverage without alcohol. And this is something that I have been tracking and I just did a full body hack um, health check uh, about a week ago, blood work, um, what else did I do? Yeah, I tested a number of different things in my body. So what came back was shocking results. I'm optimized at a higher level that I've pretty much ever been on. I did this same test while I was in the midst of pretty hardcore partying, if I do say so mildly. That is life here in Asia. People just go out and just drink and drink and drink. That's really all people do here. And that's why I wanted to stop doing that. And I have. And my results speak louder than words. So I'm super stoked. I feel great. My my sleep is improved. My skin is improved. My hair. I just feel better. Um, as we talk about in this episode, I've got a woman who has one of the biggest websites in the world. She's helped over 3,000 people one-on-one. She's had over 3,000 one-on-one clients that she's helped to cut back or stop drinking. That's incredible. She's got a massive mailing list of tens of thousands of people on her newsletter. She puts out great content. And uh, this is a great conversation. So this is one of the best episodes I think we've recorded because all the other ones are really, really good and great. But they don't really apply to everyone. But this does. Everyone is around alcohol, consumes alcohol, and might be trying to cut back. And this is something that learning how much of a negative impact alcohol has on your system is very, very, it's the first step, basically, in becoming aware at potentially wanting to cut back. And I don't judge people who do drink. I may start drinking again in the future. It's just I don't really miss it. You know, after the end of the 30 days that I did, with the 30-day no-alcohol challenge that you can take here as well. Um, I just didn't really feel that it was something missing. I still have a very active dating and social life. I go out all the time. I was in Hong Kong for two weeks, and I was in the main nightclub area almost every night and still had a blast. had no problem um, being social sober, which is a skill upon itself. And actually, that's what I was teaching a number of people how to do there as well um, in some of our boot camps and health workshop retreats. So I'll talk about that more later on in a future episode. But now on this episode, I want to just get right into it. Share this out with a friend. Subscribe if it's your first time here. I'm doing a lot more health and wellness-focused episodes coming into summer. It's time to get fit and get that beach body ready. 
And I did a number of great uh, interviews while I was in Hong Kong. I'll be releasing, so make sure you subscribe. Hit that five-star review on iTunes or an Apple podcast. Share this with a friend and leave a voice message. If you want to leave a voice message, you can click on the link below as well in the show notes and ask me a question. Leave me a suggestion for a future topic. Love to hear from you. And as always, I offer a free one-on-one coaching consulting call. You can get access to that in the show notes as well. All right, guys. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Self-Develop Life Podcast. My name is Quentin Carlin, your host as usual. And today we've got a rather not unusual topic, but something that's not really talked about a whole lot in society uh, these days. But with this being kind of a health and wellness and personal development podcast, I do want to cover this topic. And when a previous guest uh, came, reached out to me to introduce me to today's guest, uh, Belle Robertson, and we're talking today about how to either cut back or stop drinking. And Belle is another Canadian living abroad in Paris. We connected here just briefly before the show recording. And she's got a fantastic story about how she's helped literally thousands of people stop drinking and has made a huge impact and also has the most active email newsletter I've ever heard of in my years <laughs> of internet marketing. So you'll want to take a look and hop on her list to just see how dedicated and how much content she creates for her readers, which is incredibly, uh, incredibly impressive. So Bella, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. And I can't wait to get to know you and your story more. Thank you. That's a really lovely introduction. Yeah, well, it was lovely to connect and have that, <laughs> that, that time to connect and learn more about what you're doing and how impressive it is. And it's something that I can relate to a lot. So um, if you want to kind of come out and share a little bit about what you just shared briefly before our, our, we started rolling here, give people some context and we can kind of get back into the, uh, the Q&A with uh, exactly how you're doing what you're doing, which is incredible work. Okay. Um, well, I decided that I wanted to do a period of time with no alcohol. Mm -hmm. I was sort of worried that my quantity was creeping up. And there was this fundraiser called Dry July in oh, yeah. Australia. Now, I didn't sign up for it. I did, it's, it's actually set up to raise money for cancer research. It's a, it's a really great cause and people get pledges and stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that, but I thought, okay, I'll quit for a month. Surely, how hard could that be? And um, I got about nine, seven, eight, nine days in and realized it was way harder than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. um, particularly since I didn't consider myself to be, to be a problem drinker, I thought it was going to be really easy to quit. Um, and it turned out not to be. So I, when I realized that I was at risk of drinking on like day nine or seven or whatever day it was, I think it was eight, we'll say eight. On day eight, when I thought I was going to drink, I went online and I looked for support. And I knew that there were a couple of blogs, but I hadn't really looked. This was seven years ago when there weren't Facebook groups mm. uh, and people were blogging like on WordPress, create a blog, write content. And at the time there were maybe 15 or 17 of us. And I read about somebody else who'd quit drinking for 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 well-being reasons for for to feel better to sleep better to save money to get control of this voice in her head that was continuously saying i need to drink now mm. and because i saw that someone else had done it i'm like okay well surely i can do that i can blog you know anonymously and i can um write about my experience and 
because it's online, because it's anonymous, you can be quite honest. Right. <laughs> and what I didn't realize was that anyone would follow my stuff as inspiration for them because at the time I was simply trying to keep my own head above water. And if you read my blog from the beginning, it's very clear that I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and was very desperate at times and, and like did a poll and asked people's advice of whether or not I should drink. I mean, my behavior was all over the place. I simply didn't believe it got better and all of the, AA people would come in and give me advice and then all the people who were still drinking would come in and give you advice and then people who had successfully quit drinking would, you know, anyway. So fast forward then eight and a half months, I kept going, obviously. Um, about eight and a half months, there was somebody reading my blog who was repeatedly relapsing, repeatedly resetting to day one. Okay, that's it. I got to quit forever, but day one today. And I just sent her a private message and I said, look, maybe it's easier to think about it as a trial rather than quit forever mm. because forever's a long time and it's hard to hold in your head. Why don't you just quit for like a hundred days? Like the 90 day, 90 meetings, and 90 days, AA thing, but you know, an extra 10 days for good measure. Let's call it the hundred day sober challenge. Why don't you do that? Why don't you just send me an email every day? Yeah. Fine. Okay. Well then she posts it on her blog and says, I'm doing Bell's hundred day sober challenge. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There is no challenge. I didn't ask you before we started, though, Quentin, if I'm allowed to swear. Go ahead. Yeah. All swearing allowed? Sure. <laughs> you say that like you don't really mean it. No, I do. Yeah, let loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, I thought there's just no way that I'm equipped to do this. And so somebody emails. But then, you know, four people email. And then 10 people email me and say, can I email you and tell you how I'm doing? So I started an Excel spreadsheet where I kept track of people and what day you're on. And if you reset, I'd recalculate your days. And at one point I had this hilarious joke in my head that maybe one day there'd be a hundred people doing the hundred day sober challenge. And wouldn't that be like funny? Mm. Six years since then, so seven years total sober, um, I just started with the 3,016th person this week, 3016 in seven years. So that will tell you a couple things. One, there's way more of us than you think. Yeah. Um, and it's not just people who feel like they were drinking too much and would like to find a way to stop, which is certainly a category. And it's not just people who have a crashingly low bottom with difficult consequences and multiple, um, multiple challenges to deal with at the same time, but everybody in between and people using me as their only support, but then people using me in addition to other supports that you might be familiar with, like rehab mm -hmm. or AA. People email me from rehab saying, can I set it up so that we can be pen pals when I, when I get out? Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting because, um, first of all, when I first started this podcast, one of my first, it was actually episode number five, was titled How and Why I Stopped Drinking. And mm. it's actually been one of my most downloaded episodes because, well, I don't know why, but obviously, like you said, there's a great demand for this kind of uh, content and information. And a lot of people are trying and working on doing the same. And what I basically said in that uh, podcast, um, it was just me talking basically about my experience living a sober life. And what I said was, 
it's very similar to what you said. I did a 30 day no alcohol challenge. My friend, are you familiar with James Swanwick? James Swanwick, 30 day no alcohol challenge? No. Okay. Uh, he's actually one of the sponsors of this, this podcast. Actually, I usually kind of, uh, help promote his, uh, his membership books. It's, it's helped a lot of people. I don't know his numbers, but, um, like yourself, it's, it's a very substantial, um, following yeah. built from that uh, he's an Australian actually and he always says it's sacrilegious for an Australian to be sober <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, and uh, but no he's a, he's a cool guy and so I you know I went through this 30-day challenge January 1st 2017 just because I was like living in Asia for going on about eight years at the time and just like the massive drinking culture here and I was like hey I just need to take a month off and just kind of like chill out a little bit and then that month that 30 days it was such a dramatic difference in my mood in my sleep in my feeling I got into CrossFit and working out heavily and after those 30 days I was like well I don't really want to go back to what I was doing before I want to just kind of keep rolling with this so I rolled over with another month and yeah. then and then another month and that was going into spring and summer I'm like well I'll just I'll just take the winter off and then summer right. came and then I'm like well you know, I'm, I don't even really miss drinking anymore because I'm the kind of person that's, even when I'm sober, I don't need that liquid lubricant when I'm out at an event or a party to like be social. I can go up and, and dance without having a drink at all. So I'd be out still to like one, two in the morning at these massive, you know, parties here and stuff and just go home and sleep well, wake up early with no hangover. I'm like, yeah, this is way better than staying out till six in the morning and waking up at 6 p.m., you know, yeah. wrecked. And, uh, yeah, that's how it's been for the last two and a half years. And it's so cool to connect with other people that are uh, not only doing the same thing, but actually helping other people change their lifestyle around drinking, because it's interesting how things like, um, marijuana and now with all these, you know, other medicinal, um, plant medicines that are getting a lot of attention through their benefits to actually help people with addiction, like psilocybin and LSD and the, um, psychedelics are really really coming on the scene to help with addiction and it's so interesting how something like alcohol is like uh, one friend of mine who was a, a hardcore drug addict um, he said that the worst thing that rocked his body the most coming off of it was alcohol like he would he detox heroin he detox cocaine came off all these withdrawals but the worst one on his system that rocked him the most was alcohol and I was like wow that's so crazy um, but it's just like this socially accepted drug, which it is, that really plays havoc on your liver, on your brain. Alzheimer's is one of the main, um, you know, uh, symptoms of heavy drinking. And yeah, it's, it's something that is not very socially known to make such a, such a negative impact because it's just, it's just the thing to do. Go drinking with people. If you don't drink, what else are you going to do? But right. there's obviously a lot of other things to do. So. And it's not printed on the side of the bottle. Yeah, at um, all. it's marketed, make, pushed into our face. Like, oh, it's a good way to relax. Have a glass right, of wine. Yeah. Right. And what is not printed on the side of the bottle is may cause anxiety. May cause your anxiety to be worse. You think you're drinking to help with anxiety. Turns out drinking makes it worse. That's so non-intuitive. And nobody who's drinking believes that. Right. Uh, may cause depression. Nobody believes that either. Huge, uh, huge depressant. It is a depressant. Yeah. Like, is it an so you're consuming depressant? an addictive depressant. You're pouring an addictive suppressant drug on your head that gives you symptoms like you've had a stroke. Yeah. And that's somehow because what you had, you know, we have so many complicated challenges in our lives that we feel like we need to deal with. And that, so that pouring a depressant compulsive addictive substance on our head 
is adding another problem rather than helping us deal with the problems we legitimately have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and not to mention it empties out your bank accounts. <laughs> God, well, or and if not just from spending money on alcohol in pubs and buying rounds and taking money out and not remembering and then taking more money out, that kind of thing. But also, like for me, it was the dumb money that I spent in restaurants drinking. Like it's one thing to buy a bottle of wine and take it home in terms of expense. Mm -hmm. It's something else to sit in a restaurant and to buy and to pay 500% markup. Yeah. Um, if I look at the amount of, I call it dumb money, like legitimately stupidly spent money yeah. on alcohol, it's large. But if I also look at how many mornings I woke up and I hadn't had quite enough sleep and I didn't like my life, so then it meant that I didn't like my job. So mm -hmm. I work as a caterer, so getting up at you know 5.30 in the morning to bake Ooh. bread was yeah. like, even if I'd had a little to drink, yeah. by my estimation, I still hated my life. Like, so that's when I thought, like you, I thought, okay, well, I'll quit for a month. Surely it shouldn't be hard, number one. And then it turned out, like you, I felt that the benefits were enough to roll it over a bit. I also thought, oh, well, I'll go to a year. And now it's like seven. Wow. Which is shocking because I certainly did not quit to, to, I never intended to quit forever. Yeah. And whenever my head acts up and says to me, when are you going to drink again? Mm -hmm. My answer is when I'm 70. Mm. But not between now and then because I've got too much to do. Now, will I actually drink when I'm 70? I don't know. But I've moved it so far over there that it's not going to affect what I'm doing today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good to have that, um, I guess, carrot dangling almost. It's not saying not ever I'm going to have a drink, but maybe when things are in place and there's a, there's a time limit. Yeah, for myself, um, my thing is, is I will still have a glass of wine or a beer now and then, like very, very rarely, but it stops at like one. Like if I'm at an event or a big, I don't know, an important situation, I'll have a glass of champagne or something. Like for me, it's more about like being in control and just limiting myself to being sober. So my whole thing is I've been 100% sober for the last two and a half years, but I have had like an occasional glass of wine or a drink um, very, very fr uh, infrequently. Um, right. So it's not like totally, totally off the table, but it's very, it's like a fraction of what it used to be. Um, mm. but always just stopping at one. And uh, I like ginger beer a lot, actually. And what, what James uh, taught in the 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge course is how to go in. And a lot of people won't even notice that you don't drink. Cause a lot of people think in their barriers, like, well, what if I go to a, a work gathering and everyone's got a drink in their hand? Well, you go up and you just order a, a water with ice with a, with a lemon in it and it just looks like you're drinking like a, a vodka tonic right um, you know so just, yes. just you have you have a water with lemon and it's actually tastes a lot tastes great you know it's it's hydrating you instead of dehydrating you um that the alcohol does and uh nobody really pays attention because everyone's so caught up in themselves that they're not really right. conscious of what other people right. are drinking so. and that's actually one of the things that i cover with pen pals when they sign up to work with me one-on-one -on -one is we talk about things like what to say and yeah. who's paying attention and what to order and replacement drinks and that sort of thing but you're right most people especially in larger events as soon as you're in a group event nobody's walking around looking in your glass saying what's in there they might say, can I get you a drink? In which, you, which case you can say, uh, thanks, I'm really thirsty right now. I'm going to stick with water. Or, yeah. uh, sure, I'd like another tonic. Uh, people might say, oh, you're not drinking. And you say, I got a thing in the morning. Yeah, exactly. A CrossFit thing, a yoga thing. I mean, right now with the yoga vegan detox, yeah. it's a really easy cover to yeah. say, 
I'm doing a thing, whatever your thing, and you make up your thing, whatever your thing is. Yeah. Um, I've said I'm doing a self-discipline challenge. I've said, no, I've got to run in the morning, so it affects my sleep. And I've said hormones. If you're a woman of a certain age and you say hormones, people run from you <laughs> and will not engage with you about why you're not drinking. They're like, oh, hormones. Right. Ah, not asking that question, you know? Yeah. I found myself um, being a single guy in my 30s. And when I go out on dates and so on, and I'm just honest, you know, because what do most people do on dates? They go out and go for drinks. So right. when I go out and, uh, and she's like, oh, you don't, you're not drinking something? I'm like, actually, I don't really drink ever. And I'm just totally upfront, totally honest, and, and very confident about it. And I think the way that you present and say it also plays a difference. Like if you're like kind of like shy and quiet about it, but if you just kind of set the, the standard of this is who I am, this is what I do, this is what I don't do. And I think that there's a very heavy respect that goes along with it when you can just really be um, honest and upfront and confident with, you know, what your, I guess, for lack of a better word, boundaries are. Uh, right. People often have asked me, oh, wow, like I would love to be able to stop drinking for a period or, or cut back. And then that's kind of a conversation started right there. Sure. Yeah. And I've been in a number of those myself and it's just not, I'm not judging anyone or saying that anything good or bad for other people. I'm just saying this is what I'm choosing right. to do right now. And, right. and if I want to get into the reasons why I do, but normally I just say, you know, it's just like a, a health lifestyle. I'm just focusing on my health these days, which I am. Mm -hmm. And especially now with the more research I do, it makes me less and less ever want to drink because like we talked about earlier, the, the health uh, ramifications, even just when people used to think that a glass of wine a day, there's this, you know, doctor saying that it's actually good for you. But the new research that I've read, even one glass of wine increases a woman's um, breast cancer um, right. risk. Like, I can't even remember the percentage, but it was like tenfold. Like, it was just right. astronomical. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe this isn't more like awareness out there around this. Right. Just, like, having a drink. Think it's not a big deal it actually is because it compounds and it's super super toxic for your system well and even if you look at one drink like like because there was that research that said one drink mm -hmm. and my subscribers would email me and say but bell i read somewhere it says doctors say one drink and i say yes they're looking perhaps at the one drink in isolation what they're not looking at is that one drink is usually not one drink it's usually one and a half or two let's be fair it's mm -hmm. usually one and a half or two it's not usually one drink it, in the way that the doctor is perhaps looking at it scientifically in some lab somewhere. Yeah. They're also not considering that when you have something to drink, you're likely to eat more. They're not considering that if you're in a restaurant and you order a second drink, you're also likely to have dessert. Yeah, right. It does not indicate that if you have one drink, it probably means that you'll have dessert and then you might skip your morning workout. And then it doesn't mean that you'll get into a fight with your partner on the way home from the restaurant. And so it's like, Stop thinking that you can actually isolate one drink and measure it when you don't measure what the consequences are around it, mm -hmm. including opening a doorway to drinking three drinks, but then tomorrow saying, I'll just have one drink because my doctor said it's a good idea. And then you have two and a half drinks. And then the next night you say, well, my doctor said a drink is good, but I'm going to have uh, three quarters of a bottle. And yeah. then the next night it's pouring rain at 11 PM and you're going out to get just one more drink. Yeah. And it's a short trip. I mean, I'm not saying anything that your listeners don't already know. It's a very short trip between I'll just have a social drink now and then to, mm -hmm. Oh, look, it's Thursday. Oh, look, it's Wednesday. 
oh, look, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm depressed. Something yeah. good happened, something bad happened, the weather's good, the weather's bad. People email me and say, I can't quit drinking, it's summer. And then they email me and say, I can't quit drinking, it's snowing. Don't you understand, I must drink when it snows. And then they say, don't you understand, I must drink when it's the beach. And I say, don't you understand. And then I say, don't you understand. You have a voice in your head that thinks that drinking is a good idea. And it will make up reasons to drink, including weather, something good happened, something bad happened. My boss requires it. Your boss is not slipping out of your cup to check what's in it. Yeah. And if he is, he has a drinking problem. Like if your boss is actually measuring whether or not you're consuming alcohol, there's other problems there. Like right. boundaries, like you said. Yeah. You know, two things to touch on. A, uh, I actually don't trust doctors at all what they say because doctors are the most unhealthy profession in the world. They kill, literally kill themselves going through residency. They get the least sleep out of any profession in the world, mm. uh, along with nurses. Like the, the medical industry is so backwards because they, they're literally just destroying their own health through the rigorous uh, studies and training to become a, a health professional. And so many times they are misdiagnosing people. And the, the, the most important thing anybody can do listening, if you're going in for an important assessment or surgery, ask the nurse or doctor or surgeon, when was the last time you had a full eight hour sleep? And you can actually reject and you can, it's in your rights to actually look at their timetable to see how many hours they've logged in the, leading up to your, your uh, appointment. Um, there's a lot of studies out there that show that, that the rate of, surgeries that gone wrong or misdiagnosis is directly related to doctors lack of proper sleep and right. you know when they're off who knows the doctors are out drinking their people they might mm -hmm. be hungover. like it's it's i i very i i'm very wary of the traditional health uh industry and the second point i want to talk about is living here in asia currently in south korea it's the number one alcohol consuming country in the world, meaning that these 50 million Koreans consume more alcohol than 350 million Americans. Like, just think about that. That's unbelievable. Like, it is the most toxic social society I've ever seen here. And the amount of businessmen in like expensive suits that I've seen passed out on the street in front of my building here on the beach is staggering and they go out to these work parties with the boss that literally makes sure everyone gets so wasted they can't even walk out of the restaurant like it is it's unfucking believable how just <laughs> normalized it is too it's like if you don't drink heavily like it hurts your career here and that's one thing that is just so backwards like i've got so many korean friends that complain to me about that and i'm like it's so strange, but that's just how it is here. Um, right. And the weird thing is, is like you go to a country like Canada where we were raised and the people that party the hardest are like, you know, the, the, the university students, late teens, early 20s. Here, the people who get the drunkest are these like adults, like the, the CEOs, like this 50, 60 year olds are the ones that are just passed out on the street. I don't see any kids that mm. young really that smashed here. But it's like the older culture uh, here just gets absolutely smashed. And like I was just thinking, like I've never really seen wasted, like older senior citizens like in Europe because in Europe people are kind of taught how to drink and, and nurse their, you know. Um, actually, no, probably not. 
but in Canada, at least, I've never really seen like my parents drunk or anything like that. So it was just a very big culture shock for me seeing how heavily alcohol is infiltrated the society here. I think if you've never seen your parents drunk, then you're probably a small minority of people. Yeah. There's lo- there's lots. I mean, there's certainly in Canada and the United States, there's fairly large amounts of alcohol consumed. Mm-hmm. In my experience, it was that there are events that aren't really events. There are events which are opportunities to drink. Like go bowling, have a beer is one thing. Come sit in my backyard is watch me drink. Like there's, there's no activity. The activity is to sit and drink. Yeah. And so if somebody invites me to go bowling and they would, and somebody's going to have a beer, I don't care. If you want to go for dinner, I don't care. If you want to go on a pub crawl, the point of that is to drink. I'm not interested. I like personally, yeah. I'm not interested. In that. Yeah. Um, but when you go to a child's birthday party and there's the adults are drinking or drunk, um, you start to question what the point of the event was. Was the point of the event to have a child's birthday party? Was the point of the event to watch the sporting thing? No, it wasn't. The point was to sit in my living room with what we would call a two-four and you know, work your way through it in an afternoon. Um, that's like to me now as a sober person, that's not an event. Yeah. That makes drinking seem like it is something to do. Like we used to, I mean, honestly, drinking used to be what you did between dinner time and bedtime. Mm. You could suck up a whole six hour window there. Yeah. Wow. You know. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And uh, I've heard a number of people, actually the last relationship I was in, I was dating a doctor for about seven months here and she would always come back from these benders that she would go on with her coworker doctors. And then the next day would be like, I'm never drinking again. Right. And then literally the next weekend, it would be the same thing. Why right. do you think people just continually punish themselves like that when subconsciously and consciously they know like this is going to be terrible, but they right. still go ahead and do it anyway. Like that, that is like the addiction or that's like the yeah. peer pressure or that is no. just the. No, it's addiction. And, and I mean, it's addiction in the sense that we all have behaviors that we do, even though, and I use the phrase, even though, even though we know what the consequences are, even though we know. So it's like, I'll have two drinks at dinner, but then there's somebody else offers me shooters at 11 PM. Even though I have a business meeting tomorrow morning, I'm going to drink anyway. And so it's when like people don't choose to punish themselves like that. They don't. Right. Nobody purposefully drinks and drives. Nobody drives with their children in the backseat of the car because they're self punishing. They haven't even though thought, which is, you know, I only have to go to the corner. Hmm. So it won't be that bad and it's not, it's not that, and you know, but nobody willfully does shit over and over again to make themselves feel crappy. Like mm-hmm. it, the alcohol itself is, is saying to you, must consume, must have some, must have some and try to control the quantity. Yeah. Oh, must mean that I didn't try hard enough to control the quantity. Next weekend, I'll try harder to control the quantity, assuming of course that the quantity could be controlled or assuming that that's a good use of your energy. Like it turns out, and I didn't know this at all until I started, it turns out it's actually easier to have none than it is to try to control the quantity. Yeah. Um, I think that another big part in it, I had a guy on my podcast that was a heroin addict. And then I had another guy that was a porn addict and a sex addict. And the main And with my own research and interest in looking at the root of addiction and so on, 
it seems like the main two things, number one is childhood trauma mm -hmm. or genetic disposition to having family um, history with, with addiction or shame. Like it seems to have those three kind of components that are kind of mixed together that is kind of a recipe for um, these acting outs of addiction in different niches, whether it be drugs, um, porn, even cell phone addiction these days. It just seems right. to be like trying to mask and I guess uh, heal or medicate from numbing the feelings of whatever you're trying not to feel. Right. And I think that when you use words like trauma and shame, it does make then the person who's over-consuming feel bad. And so I think it's possible to say something similar to what you just said, but to reframe the wording and say, uh, sensitive, people who are sensitive, which means alcohol lights their head up more than it lights up other people. Mm -hmm. You can be sensitive for lots of reasons, including childhood trauma. It can also be genetics. It can be um, something bad happened. It can also just be you're a person like me who feels everything. I hear everything in the next room, all my clothes itch. I have to sleep with the right pillow. Like I'm one of those sensitive people. So mm -hmm. boring. But, but so you take that, right? Okay. And a sensitive head, then you take poor self soothing skills, like any other way to feel better. Most of us don't grow up learning how to take a time out, how to go for a run, how to have a cold shower, how to listen to loud music to change your mood. Our family would have modeled to us alcohol, cigarettes, or in my case, Kentucky Fried Chicken, as a solution to, you know, a bad, bad day, good day. But the third thing that gets left out in the conversation when you say shame and trauma and guilt and other things is the fact that the substance is addictive. Right, yeah. So it's what you're saying is it's not just... I feel shame, so I overuse. The stuff itself is addictive. So it's sort of like saying to a cocaine addict, you must have trauma in your life. You must have shame in your life. Oh, oh, by the way, cocaine is really addictive. There's that. So there can be a social use in addition to a sensitive head. Becomes addiction without you even realizing it because the actual substance you're consuming is addictive. True, yeah. Um, I'm just going to try and find something a friend of mine just posted the other day that was a very, I guess, uh, okay, so this is a friend of mine. He was actually my college university roommate who went through a very, very difficult time with addiction of uh, many substances. And he just posted this on his uh, Instagram. I'm just going to read it here real quick. It says, alcohol may temporarily numb the pain, but it will ultimately make things much, much worse. Sobriety may be temporarily un be uncomfortable, but it will ultimately make things much, much better. And then it goes on to say here with a, uh, a uh, quote from Russell Brand, who is obviously a, a very outspoken um, uh, recovery specialist. Recovery specialist, yeah. So I'm just looking here. So he says, uh, cannabis isn't the gateway drug. Alcohol isn't the gateway drug. Nicotine isn't the gateway drug. Caffeine isn't the gateway drug. Trauma is the gateway. Childhood abuse is the gateway. Molestation is the gateway. Neglect is the gateway. Drug abuse, violent behavior, hypersexuality, and self-harm are often symptoms, not the cause of much bigger issues. And it is almost always stems from a childhood filled with trauma, absent parents, and an abusive, par uh, abusive family. But most people are too busy laughing at the homeless and drug addicts to realize that your own children could be in their shoes in 15 years. Communicate, empathize, rehabilitate. And yeah, you could substitute that with sensitivity. 
Um, but yeah, it seems it's like still, there's... it's still leaving out the sentence that says that the product itself is addictive. It right. still walks right up to the edge of blaming the victim. Mm-hmm. It leaves out the fact that it's a socially acceptable drug that people give you a hard time when you quit. Sometimes depends on your friends, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and the substance itself is sold in the grocery store. They've moved the sake now next to the vegetables. They've moved the Sapporo next to the chips and next to the sushi in right. the grocery store because there's high taxes. It's a high margin. I mean, and every restaurant, every restaurant, every restaurateur knows this. I know that everybody knows this. The alcohol is the best markup. Yeah. It's the best margin. Uh, it's, a, it's sort of like where smoking was 40 years ago. Sort of know it causes problems, but you know, there's a whole industry invested in promoting and marketing, and I'm not blaming the, the marketing. Their job is to make money. I understand that. They're not really looking at what the consequences are, and they say inane things like drink responsibly. No shit. If I could do that, I would be doing that. Uh, no shit. Uh, the, what it doesn't say, though, is when the corner store, the 7-Eleven, the... Um, selling the tall boy beers for less than a dollar who are they selling them to yeah yeah exactly someone who's addicted to that like really there's no one else buying that product yeah and talking about the convenience stores and so on like one of my friends is a marketing specialist and he goes in and actually helps design the uh, layouts and product placements and there's a reason why milk and bread is in the back of a shop because when you go in that's the most common thing most people have to get every right. week right. every day so what they have to do they put it in the very back because you have to walk through all these aisles to get there to right. pick up that milk and bread but on the way you pick up a bottle of wine you pick up those chips you pick up everything and anything in between here and there and then that you know could have been $5 purchase is now $25 on the way checking out. So everything is systemized to maximize profit and temptation. So right. yeah, definitely. Um, but the ahead. other thing I think that to consider though, is that when I work with people, I have a different approach than what you just quoted from the Instagram thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a different person than, I guess you were quoting Russell Brand there. Yeah. I'm clearly not him. <clears throat> I'm nowhere near as cute as he is for sure. Um, I, um, one of the first things I say to people is you're not broken because in reading this, this, the, the, the quote that you just gave mm-hmm. the trauma, the stuff, the stuff people then feel like they're broken mm. and that they're drinking to somehow try to soothe their brokenness. I actually think that's backwards. I think that if you remove the booze, you find that a lot of the things that you thought you were trying to fix with the alcohol were being caused by the alcohol. And it's not to say that we don't all have some kind of family childhood shit to process. I'm not saying that or grief or abuse or whatever. What I'm saying is that a lot of our ability to have successful therapy, to have our antidepressant medication work properly, to have relief from some of the problems that we have, uh, can't be done while you're still drinking two bottles of wine a night. Yeah. And that, you're not broken. The substance is addictive. So you remove the substance and then see where you are because honestly, you can't tell in the beginning. Like in the beginning, you think, you just think you're fucked. You do. Yeah. You think that you're broken. I've been to AA. I've been to rehab. Nothing's worked. So what's your thoughts on AA and rehab and those support groups? I think that there's, well, in the back of the appendix of my book, I made a list. I challenged myself to write a list of 60 sober supports or tools 
all the way from go to bed early, which is, which is a tool, wow. to inpatient rehab. And I challenge myself to write 60 of them. The problem is that most people approach over drinking with three or four tools. Mm-hmm. And when they're unsuccessful, like you said before, they think next weekend, I'll just go and try harder. They don't think I'll try different. So my, my challenge to people is look at the list of 60. If you're doing five, then do 10. If you're doing 10, then do 40. Because it's not that there aren't tools available. It's that we don't want to use them. Yeah. It, not that there isn't stuff that could help us quit drinking. It's that we don't want to do what, because we have a head that wants to continue to drink. So if I said to you... And the body that's actually addicted to the the routine of it, you know? Sure. Yeah. And there's certainly psychological dependence and then there's physical dependence, sure. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the fact that if you were in inpatient treatment, you wouldn't be drinking. Okay, well, most people don't want to go to inpatient treatment as their first try, right? Mm -hmm. So back it off from there and say AA meetings. Well, most people don't want to go to an AA meeting as their first try either. Okay, fine. Back it off from there. What about something anonymous and online? What about learning to identify this addictive voice in your head and, and to separate out the voice that is the addiction speaking and the voice that is you? And how do you determine which is which? And that helps with you work with somebody else to help you figure that out. Mm-hmm. What about listening to sober podcasts twice a day? What about emailing somebody for accountability? What about going to bed early because it's one way of getting enough sleep, but also reducing your overwhelm, which is a trigger to drink. What about, you know, 10 other things, reading about sober stuff and engaging with the sober world. If that suits you, it's not that AA doesn't work. It's that most people don't want to go. Yeah. And, and it's not that AA works alone. It can be a layer of support in addition to other layers. Like if somebody's working with me and they reset repeatedly, then I will say, why don't you add more tools? And we'll brainstorm what those tools might be. Keep the original set and add 10 more. And if that's not successful, then you say, okay, well, have you thought about medication? Have you thought about meetings? Have you thought about treatment? The problem is that some people heads is are very loud and will say no 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 i can't do any of those things i'd rather die wow. than do some of these things that are perceived to be embarrassing or difficult and so that there is anything available online that's anonymous is like this incredible gift that was not available when the i mean the internet's new right yeah. 12 years ago this didn't exist seven years ago this didn't exist yeah the choices really were talk to your doctor aa rehab that's all there was. There was no sober podcasts. There was no quit lit. You know, there was no books about how to quit drinking. There were some memoirs about how to crash your car and fall down the stairs, but not how to get out. Yeah. Do you, do you find that it takes someone hitting rock, rock, rock bottom to make a change? Like, it seems like unless things are totally unmanageable and out of control, people just don't really... Uh, put the effort or the realization in that, hey, something's got to change here or else. Is that kind of the common thread that you've seen when people finally do reach out to you or start searching for um, support? No, no. In fact, I found the opposite. um, That if, if you, if you wait for a low bottom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's we call a bottom, like if there's an elevator of alcohol that only goes down, you want to get off as soon as you can and stay off. Um, Mm -hmm. The problem is that even with large consequences, it's still hard to quit. It's hard to quit drinking. It's hard to quit 100%, have none, no sips, no slips. It's hard to do that. 
-hmm. And if you have a lower bottom with more consequences, then you have more shame. You have more feelings of being broken. Uh, It's people say like, how do you get three DUIs? Surely to God, you quit drinking after the first one. And it's like, well, the same reason that people don't quit after the first hangover. They say, well, this time will be different. Well, that was just because I drank on an empty stomach. This time I won't do it like that. Mm-hmm. And we all know that if you get pulled over for, for drinking and driving, it's not your first time you've been drinking and driving. It's yeah. your hundredth, literally. Nobody, we don't get pulled over all the time. We should. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. If you get pulled over, it was the hundredth time you drank and drive, like where you were over a limit that should, should not have been driving. Yeah. I had a guy in my group who, was, who had three DUIs. And you think, oh my God, surely to God. But I've had women, women in my group who've had, you know, mastectomies and they know that they're cancer risk and they still find it hard to quit. Mm. I've had people with a, what we call a higher bottom where it's two, three, four glasses a night, no large repercussions, still hard to quit. So what I've actually found now, and, and I didn't know this at all when I started, I had the exact same thought that you did. Exactly. You have to wait till something bad happens. Otherwise, why would you bother? What I now find is that it's hard to quit no matter where you are on the elevator. Yeah. Yeah. I could relate to that. Um, what would you say, what is the actual definition of an alcoholic? If someone's listening here and thinking that they might be struggling with, uh, drinking too much, I, cause I, re- I remember reading it a while ago. I can't remember the exact number, but it says something like a, quite low. Like if you have three or four drinks at a time, like I remember it, was, it wasn't that outrageously, um, heavy, standards to Mm. put somebody into that category do you you, Mm. are you familiar with what the well you'll be pleased to know that i don't use the word alcoholic because it's a barrier to entry because people don't like the word so i usually say over drinker Mm -hmm. or i use the word boozer but i use over drinking like um and is i don't think that the definitions are so useful because then what happens is we go online we look at some checklist it says yeah, are you drinking in the morning yeah. i say no i'm not drinking in the morning and then i go great i get to keep drinking then when you were online looking it up because you knew there was something up like mm-hmm. let's let's be fair when we do the questionnaires what we're looking for is permission to quit mm-hmm. you wouldn't be online going am i an alcoholic unless you knew you need there was something up obviously Mm-hmm. There's something up or you wouldn't be there, right? It's like anyone who signed up on my site and following my free stuff and the emails that I send out every day. If they email me and say, I'm not sure I have a problem, then my answer is you wouldn't be anywhere near me mm-hmm. if it wasn't already on your radar. But like, and to, to address your question specifically, like how do you know if there's an issue? Try to quit. Mm. Try to have none for 30 days and see how hard it is, how emotionally and psychologically reliant you are and realize that you don't know anybody from whom you can ask for support because nobody gets it and realize how alone that is and then perhaps go online and find those people or just go back to drinking because you decide it's too hard right yeah so i think the measurement is more can you have you tried to quit Right. And why do you think that alcohol why do you think that alcohol is required for a happy life why are we trying to figure out some way to keep it in as opposed to find some ways to get it out. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And to kind of switch gears a little bit here, all the other kind of big personal development, health and wellness podcasts out there seems every few episodes they're now talking about these new plant medicines that help with addiction and things of that nature. Are you familiar with any of those or have any experience with clients or anything that have 
successfully quit smoking or drinking or um, other behaviors that uh, were helped through these plant medicines like ayahuasca, psilocybin are like the two main ones. MDMA is really coming up for um, another one. Like these are kind of these new trends around recovery that we're seeing a lot. Um, yeah. or at least on all the big podcasts I'm connected with. Uh, have you have you heard anything from that or firsthand experience? No, I haven't heard anything positive. I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of talk, usually from young men. Mm. Uh, that seems to be the demographic of people talking about it on the podcasts and in the in the press. It seems to be. It, it, this is just my. Uh, I I don't know anything. This is just my yeah. my survey of it. I haven't done any research to see what the actual demographics are. Um, I think the problem with addiction is that we have a head that asks to drink because it's trying to get us to numb out mm -hmm. rather than either minimize the stress or find other ways to deal with the stress. And so it's actually asking for an anesthetic. So it would be sort of like saying, if I could administer a horse anesthetic to you, would that help you quit drinking? And my answer to be, my, this is my personal opinion, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a specialist. I've worked with 3,000 people one-on-one -on -one who are interested in my particular philosophy. My philosophy is not for everybody. I don't know anything. I'll just say that. I don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, if you have a head that's asking to numb, that is the problem. Mm. And so to me, um, it seems like personally, I never tried cocaine and I'm really glad I didn't because yeah. I, my head would have lit up and I would have then crossed traffic to get it. And you think of people who will perform sex for favors, for money, for drugs. Um, it's, it's not hard to understand how that happens. It happens because the desire for the thing is so large mm -hmm. that you'll really do anything to get it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. in a regular social situation, if somebody's going to offer me heroin, I know that stuff's addictive. I'm not going near it. I also know I have a head that would ask for it. Like I'm just, I personally would not fuck with it at all yeah. from like a mile, which is not the same thing as having a proper assessment by a psychiatrist, not your family doctor, a psychiatrist who actually specializes in looking at people's heads, who right. understands what a combination of anxiety, OCD, mm. ADHD, bipolar, borderline personality disorder in any percentage, but anxiety, a lot of us have anxiety issues. They know what that looks like. Then they know that your head starts to look for this high behavior, yeah. even when there are consequences, even though, that we're back to my even though thing, even though I didn't want to, even though I said I would quit next week. Right. Um, me personally, I wouldn't go near it at all. It sounds like a recipe for a, a nightmarish disaster. Yeah. But I also know that people are grasping at a solution. Mm and hoping that they can switch from one thing to another thing. Yeah. And that's different than dealing with the fact that you have a head that asks for it, dealing with the sensitivity thing, having accountability, figuring out other ways to feel better, learning other pathways, neuroplasticity in the brain, learning other reward systems. Like it's sort of, uh, again, I'm, I'm not, I don't know enough about it, uh, but if you put it in front of me, I would, I would leap off a balcony than take it. I would, I would, so be terrified of what would happen to my life. Right. Yeah, no, just the, the only reason I ask is it just seems to be like the new trend for um, coming up for alternative ways to, to overcome these addictive um, compulsory yeah. things. So yeah, no, neither have I actually. Um, 
Korea is like the the most anti-drug country in the world, let alone it's like the most alcohol, you know, like has the most alcohol. It's kind of ironic. I think that these huh. people should have other options as far as like, you know, smoke a joint, go to a movie instead of drink a freaking bottle of soju or sake and black out on the street. Like it's uh, yeah. yeah, different uh, ways to relax. Um, well, that's awesome. Uh, the last thing I kind of want to touch about is the ability for sleep. Um, I have very, very recently been tracking my sleep and REM and so on. And from what I've heard and researched as well, that if you're drinking, even just one drink will greatly reduce your quality of sleep. Right. And that is super, super important because that's when your brain is able to relax and recover. And if you're not giving your system ability to do that, relax and recover, it can have a very, very negative effect uh, long term down the road. So what's your what was your experience with sleep? Um, I guess maybe before and after. Oh, it was totally, totally my experience. And everyone who's had too many drinks knows what waking up at three in the morning is like when you wake up and have the sort of anxiety terrors and you promise yourself you're never going to do that again. I mean, to, to stop waking at 3 a.m. is a gift, really. And if removing the alcohol means that I'll never wake up at 3 a.m. thinking my life is a misery, okay, fine, I'll take it. Um, I also know, though, when I first quit, I was surprised at how tired I was. Mm. And um, I, because I had been sort of running on some kind of adrenal fatigue, like just sort of overwhelmed and pushing too hard, and then using alcohol as the way to come down or the way to relax rather than trying to ease off on the pressure in general mm. and finding other ways to relax, like you said, you know, running or exercise or swimming or sleeping. Right. I think sleeping is actually a perfectly good place to hide. If you need to check out from the world because it's too much, I think going to bed is perfectly fine. Uh, when I first quit in that first month, there were some nights I was sleeping 12 hours a night. Yeah. Now, that'll tell you about a sleep deficit or an adrenal fatigue or an emotional overwhelm or just being exhausted, you know, mentally exhausted as well as physically. Mm -hmm. um, if you, I mean, if there was a pill and you could take it, that would, that would improve your sleep. You would spend less dumb money. You would be less prone to crying in the middle of the night about feeling misunderstood. S spoken to every wife listening. Uh, every wife listening, it, it was me where the number of times you'd go to bed crying, feeling misunderstood while I was drinking compared to the number of times since I quit mm. is uh, like compared four times a week to once a year um the all of the 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 overeating the weird eating that we do when we're drinking the the skipping meals so that we can get better impact from the alcohol itself then drinking but then eating donairs which is the canadian thing but you know yeah. eating pizza at midnight or one or two I should really drop a Donair reference because, you know, that's really a Canadian in-joke. I can only oh, do that with you, Quentin, though. I, I can only that. do that with you. Yeah. yeah it's so rare that. that I talk to a Canadian that I can make my good Canadian references, you know? Yeah, or that yeah. poutine, that that Montreal poutine. Yeah. 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 Or cow's ice cream, you know, on the Halifax waterfront at 1 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Uh, from the lower deck. Like, I just know that if there was a pill available that would make all that stop, there'd be a lineup. And if you told people that that pill was to quit drinking, they'd go, oh, fuck, I don't want to do that. It's yeah. like, well, do you understand what might actually improve, including feeling proud of yourself? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Do a really big thing, like quit drinking, feel better, sleep better, spend less money, and feel proud of yourself. What's that? 
what's that worth? Yeah. And no more of those, oh shit, what did I say that, that night or what did I do? Or who did I text? You, who you did I kiss? Where's yeah. my phone? Yeah. Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing too, for people that are um, looking at anti-aging as well, like gray hair is like hand in hand with um, alcohol consumption, same as wrinkles. Um, if you want to look better and feel better, obviously, alcohol is probably the best thing to do to, to get cut back or get cut out of your life because of the, the health benefits um, mm -hmm. on top of everything else you just listed there. So yeah, I guess the, the best way um, for people to make a decision, even just cutting back, like even, you know, like, because I was looking at it from when I was 18, I played university college basketball. And after every game, we would just all go out together. So basically, from when I was like, you know, in high school to, to my mid 30s, I was out basically every weekend. And I couldn't really remember a weekend when I wouldn't have at least one drink doing something at dinner or an event or a party or a bar. Like, that's just what people do. And the last two and a half years, I have felt that my quality of life has increased. My um, productivity has increased. My health has increased. And my social circles have gotten tighter because the people that I am associating with aren't just like the drunk beer buddies that I used to hang out with, but it's actually like um, being able to connect with people like yourself. And that's how this podcast started, actually, because I stopped having these social um, gatherings with people that were just always doing the same thing, going to bars. I'm like, I want to start having conversations about more interesting meaningful topics. real life stuff yeah yeah like i would like literally that's that's why there's two reasons why this podcast started that was one of them because i lacked the social dynamics because i stopped going out to the bars and clubs and partying and stuff number two is living abroad in a country where english is not very frequently spoken here i really yeah. miss having conversations so that's the two reasons why these podcasts have started and it's been like the the most fulfilling project i've ever worked on because for self-growth and self-development, it's it's just unmatched to be able to speak with interesting people like yourself doing very in, impactful and interesting things in the world. So, um, you know, I think that it would give other people the opportunity to free up time to write oh, that wow. book or start that fitness program or spend more time with their family. You know, like alcohol, you said, you're. it's not just the time that you're out that it affects, it affects the next day when you're in bed right. binging on Netflix because right. you're too hungover to go do anything. So the, the opportunity cost is, is massive there. So yeah. for people wanting to connect with you and your resources and your support, where can they find out uh, more about you? I know you're anonymous and that's why if you're watching this on YouTube, there's no video because before, <laughs> before the, uh, the call, um, Belle just mentioned that she, she's anonymous, which I totally understand and respect. Um, but for people to go and connect with you and your work and, and follow along, where can they reach out? Well, I'm anonymous also because all of my pen pals are anonymous. Like all the people that I work with, I'm trying to encourage an anonymity for everybody because I think yeah. it makes it easier to be uh, honest. Yeah. Um, it also, you know, uh, makes it gives us like a safe place where we're not looking at how fat her ass is, right? You know. Yeah. Well, that, that's making, the, that's the other thing. I actually just commented on something the other day on Facebook. I said, you know, wouldn't it be so much different? social media wise if people were anonymous and they could actually say what they're doing yes exactly just, like exactly i think that that would be a, an yes. amazing platform yes. if, if someone wants to start the next billion dollar tech company i think starting in an anonymous facebook where people well there, there are avenues for that like like you've set up 
but just to be really honest about what's going yeah. on without fear of judgment or criticism right. or like right. shame. That's exactly what happens. Exactly. Yeah. My website is called Tired of Thinking About Drinking. Now, if you're a good Canadian, you know that those are the lyrics to a Tragically Hip song. Please oh, don't yeah. email me and tell me that you think that that's the most fabulous, creative, inventive title ever. I stole it. Tired of thinking about drinking, but if you're a good Canadian, it does mean something to you. But also, I was tired of thinking about drinking. For me personally, it was the thinking about drinking that was exhausting. Is there enough? Can I get more? Should I have more? I said I wasn't going to drink this week on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'll drink on Monday. Is there enough? Where's the waiter? Did my husband get more? Can I talk him into going back? Like, just sort of just exhausting. Mm -hmm. And like you just said, when you remove that, what do you have time to do? Read a book, write a book, play piano be there for your kids, CrossFit, start a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows what else? Who knows what How else? Oh, cool. Yeah, very cool. Well, that is awesome. And I'll have that link below in the show notes here. So for everyone listening, you can uh, have a look. And as I mentioned earlier, um, Bell puts out a lot of content, more than any other newsletter <laughs> I've ever heard of. Three content-packed emails a day, and it goes anything from people's stories sharing or um, podcasts like this one that she's on. So uh, a very, very active, I guess, uh, support system. You would have a resource right. in your pocket as long, along with the other things. And you mentioned you have a book as well. I do have a book that's actually has the same title, Tired okay. of Thinking About Drinking, Easy. Try My 100 Day Sober Challenge. Um, it's available on my website. It's also available on Amazon. I do podcasts short and long. Um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do coaching calls. I send stuff out in the mail. I send out emails. I do live radio on Mixler. I do awesome. Facebook lives, you know, well, try to reach go. everybody. Try to have a, like a diverse kind of supports because not everybody wants video and not everybody's on Facebook. Yeah. And so try to have yeah. it, you know, spread yeah. out. For sure. Awesome. Well, this has been very fascinating. So as always, my friends, thank you for tuning in. This can definitely impact and improve many people's lives. So make sure that you copy this and share it with those that you love or just people on your social media networks that can really, really benefit from the wisdom and resources that uh, we chatted about here today. Also on iTunes, if you would be so kind to leave a five-star review, that always helps the show get more um, uh, spreads me good messages like this. I don't do any outside promotion for this show. So it's up to you guys to help spread the word. And thank you so much for tuning in. It's going into summer. So when people are offering you that beer, you can say, Hey, how about just a lemon water? Or I'm just going to, you know, like it's, it's a good way to also use summer as an, as an excuse to get into shape. Um, and, and that's what a lot of people are doing too. So take care of yourself, everyone. See you on the next podcast coming out very soon. I just got back from Hong Kong and I've got a number of great interviews that I did while I was over there with some incredible people doing more incredible things. So stay tuned, subscribe, and see you all soon on the next one. Be safe. Also, I'm going back to Canada next week. So those friends of mine in Canada, I fly in next weekend. So looking forward to connect and catching up with friends and family there. All right. See you soon. Thank <music> you.